Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Paul Feig on his comfort movie, Casino Royale. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, Quarantine Edition. That's a qualifier. This is not, we're not back to normal, guys. Calm down. We're still in the weird new normal. The best I can say is that we're still talking to cool people. We're still geeking out about movies. We're still trying to put on a brave face, even as the world collapses around us. Sammy, is everything going to be okay? Uh, I mean, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, you, no, no. We're, it's great. We're doing oh, great. Okay. Sammy, Paul you were Fee, supposed to. Yeah. Paul Feig's good. I'm good, man. Yeah. Paul Feig is, is still impeccably dressed. He's still dressing in his like three piece suits. I was wondering that that was on my list of questions. He is still, uh, he's still, he's making cocktails every day. I don't know if you follow Paul Feig on Instagram. He's a good follow. He every day does an Instagram live where he makes a different cocktail. Oh, David Tucci got it from him. Oh, I wonder if there's a beef. <laughs> oh. You know, I've, I've made, um, uh, of course, you're referencing Stanley Tucci's, uh, I think it was on Instagram where he made a Negroni oh, yeah. in, in a tight-fitting T-shirt in as he always wears. In a tight polo with some jazz in the background. <laughs> um, I've been making Negronis the last couple of days, maybe in no small part influenced by the great Tucci. Um, I don't know if I look the same as I'm making a Negroni. Actually, I can guarantee I don't. But um, I guess my point is that he's made an impact on my life. I'm drinking more. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Stanley. <laughs> if he could get one person to drink more, that's all he wanted. Negronis are really easy to make, by the way. Well, you, should do a, you should start doing tutorials. Yeah, it's really a bad byproduct of the, of the quarantine uh, <laughs> among, among many. One is that I, my uh, alcohol consumption is up. Um, but do you make them look pretty or do they just taste good? Do they, are you asking if they look pretty? They are yeah. a nice color thanks to the Campari. The Campari adds a the lovely Campari. Campari. Um, anyway, yes, the main, the, the, the main event today is Mr. Paul Feig. Uh, he's been a guest on the podcast back when we were doing this uh, normal like in my office. And uh, he was kind enough to come on to talk about his comfort movie. And his comfort movie was maybe some of you might think it's an unexpected choice for Paul Feig, best known for Freaks and Geeks and Bridesmaids and The Heat and all these great comedies for the most part. Bye. <laughs> spy is maybe my favorite. I love Spy. <laughs> but Spy actually does connect to this, uh, to the comfort movie he chose. He chose uh, Casino Royale, the Daniel Craig, the first outing for Daniel Craig as James Bond. Um, and I think for most people, they think the best uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond movie, if not one of the best James Bond movies, yeah. period. Um, you know. But <laughs> yeah, so, so make a Negroni, now make a martini. Uh, and and listen to this great conversation with Paul Feig as he uh, waxes rhapsodic about his love for uh, Casino Royale. It makes sense in in retrospect when you think of Paul Feig's work and you think of something like Spy, which does connect to Casino Royale. But um, even just the, uh, you know, the the style, the... uh, the, 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 the great ensemble of actors, it, it, it doesn't, the, the more you dig into Casino Royale, I think the more you understand why Paul Feig might be attracted to it. And we it's had a really, fun. It is a it's fun It's a fun movie. flick. It, it is. is. <laughs> it is a good one. Yeah. Um, so, okay, what else to imagine? Well, there's a lot to talk about, Sammy. What's, uh, what, are you, what have you been watching? What's exciting? What's going on? Well, um, I'm going to tell you what I'm watching, and then should I tell everyone what you said about me after I said it? 
is oh, that I, I yeah, just sure. started Friday Night Lights and you uh, asked if I was a fucking moron for having <laughs> never watched it before. Okay, you're giving which me a bad Which is really reputation. encouraging. I didn't say that. I Did I say those words? Yes, I actually think it's recorded. No, not, not on my end. <laughs> uh, I was just shocked. I guess it, those words flung out of my mouth because I was shocked because you have generally decent taste there. That's a compliment uh, in terms of television. And Friday Night Lights is not a secret anymore. People know People have gotten with the program. What took you so long? You knew this was a great thing waiting for you. I did. And it was always daunting. It's like this and the West Wing are two that I've yeah. have I've gone to start like so many times over the years. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's too many. The West so, Wing, though, is 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 probably twice as many episodes as Friday Night Lights. It lasted longer, longer seasons. So Friday Night Lights is probably what, 70. 70, 80 episodes? Yes, 72 or somewhere in there. Right. Um, it's but, a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, I'm loving it. You know, I love, I love a hunk. I love Kyle Chandler and Taylor Kitsch, obviously. Um, so I, I'm loving it, but it was the, I was intimidated by the amount of episodes. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said you before you were in like season four right now. So you're, you're getting through it. You, you've gotten through the, the rough patch where they hit a body in what, season two, right? No? Yeah. And we okay. had some steroids. And, yeah. Yeah. But. So, well, good, good. I'm glad you're discovering uh, new exciting things. There are other, or the old exciting things. There are some new exciting things out there. I know we both loved uh, the new HBO film with our man Hugh Jackman, Bad oh, Education. Oh my God. What a treat. For those that haven't seen that, they should really check it out. It's kind of like a dark, darkly comedic thriller in a way, based on a true story. Um, and Hugh's great in it. He's I really, I really so dug it. good. He's, um, I mean, when is he not? But okay, it's just it's nice to see him like flex the drama muscles a little bit, you know. Totally. Um, I enjoyed, and you'll be shocked to know this because I'm not like the biggest uh, music aficionado. I enjoyed the new Beastie Boys doc on Apple Ooh. Plus. Really good, directed by Spike Jones. We're very well done. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Some new series I'm, I'm starting to watch. I'm not sure if I can talk about them yet, but uh, oh. Oh. I hate when you do. Okay, that. all right, calm down. <laughs> uh, here's the other thing I do want to mention. Um, Stir Crazy, my show on Comedy Central, continues. We have some really exciting uh, episodes up this week. Ricky Gervais, by the time you hear this, that episode is up. He was at Delight. His show, Afterlife, is back on Netflix. And the one and only, my spirit animal, the great Michael Shannon, is on Stir Crazy this week, dropping on Thursday. It is a special, special episode. I just, I'm, I'm happy for you. I know that this is... Something that is probably going to be like the top five things you've ever done. Well, I, everything I do with him is yeah. in the echelon, and it's always it's always a treat. And um, this was one of our better. I mean, they're all great, but this one has a special place, and it was good to connect with him uh, in these bizarre times. He is not mellowed. He's still insane. His in quarantine look is oh my god, just everything you'd want it to be. It's delightful. Yeah. Um, I want to shout out a couple um, uh, folks on social media who were kind enough to send yeah. in their comfort movies. I always ask you guys what you're watching, what you're enjoying. So here are a few, and I think you're gonna, you're, I think you're gonna agree on a few of these, Sammy, as your dog barks in the back. <laughs> Can you? Hear? Uh, <laughs> um, here's uh, so Jess Reed says uh, her comfort movie is Mamma Mia Two. <gasps> Friend of yours, clearly, oh. Jess. Yeah. Mamma uh, Mia 2, interesting choice, and I respect it. 
Yeah, it's like Godfather <laughs> 2. Godfather, mm-hmm. Godfather 2, people can go back and forth. Mamma Mia 2. It's, it's, yeah. it's controversial. Here we go again. But, okay. <laughs> uh, Sabrina S. says Mary Poppins. She's going old school. Uh, the Lane, original. Okay, not returns. Yeah, Got not it. Not returns. Laney S. says Notting Hill. Great one. All the Richard Curtis movies for weddings and a funeral. I feel like they all qualify. Um, here's a different kind of a take. This one, this, this person's maybe a person after my own heart. Disco Non Sequitur chooses Inside Lewin Davis, the Coen Brothers movie, oh. as their comfort movie. Um, Have you been watching I? Uh, what? Just Google Oscar Isaac Quarantine. He's been really. <laughs> oh, it's he ha- been wonderful. Is he hanging around Brooklyn? Is he in, in his my, wife in- has been posting a lot? He's cooking, he's dancing while cooking, he's doing a lot of guitar. He gives giving his kid a haircut. It's or Oscar Oscar heads like myself, it's it's oh, great. Sorry, is, continue. No, this is good to know. I, yeah. I, I I'm an Oscar head. Uh, yeah. Alexander Adams says pop star never stops stopping. Great pick, one of the best mm-hmm. comedies in recent years. Uh, and my old buddy, this is a former coworker of mine, Keith Sharman, picked my my favorite year. Have you you haven't seen oh, my favorite year? Have you? Yes, have. I have. Okay, good. Yes, good. I have. Good. Uh, for those that don't know, Peter O'Toole, Mark Lynn Baker, a uh, uh, really great comedy mm-hmm. from the uh, I think it's like eighty or eighty one. That's uh, that's definitely one of my comfort. Peter movies. O'Toole as himself. <laughs> uh, one of these days, I'll tell you my Peter O'Toole stories. I, I I've I've met Peter. I met Peter O'Toole before he passed. It was quite a treat. Um, <laughs> I have, I have, I have an autographed. I'm, I not only do I have an autographed Lawrence of Arabia poster, but oh my Peter God. O'Toole, but I have um, what I would wager is the only um, autographed Peter O'Toole DVD copy of Supergirl. <laughs> he was in Supergirl, uh, which is a fascinating movie if you have not checked it out. That's and, insane. Um, and I, I got to think that's maybe, maybe how many. How many Supergirl DVDs did Peter O'Toole sign? One. <laughs> you got it. Spoiler. One. One. Um, anyway, uh, let's get to the main event. This is Paul Feig. He is always a delight. I joined him uh, via Zoom so I could st- uh, stare into his pearly whites and also see his amazing, impeccably dressed uh, um, style. Mm. Um, he is, of course, one of our great uh, filmmakers, and he has good taste because he chose Casino Royale as his film. I hope you guys enjoy my chat. And once again, remember, as always, to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Spread the good word. And uh, without further ado, here's me and Paul. Well, it's always a pleasure to welcome a friendly voice, a friendly face to Happy, Sad, Confused, even in these weird times. I'm sad you're not in my office today, Paul, but it's good to see you. How are you doing? I'm great, Josh. How are you? I'm, I'm very sad not to be with you in New York, and I'm sad to be away from New York right now. Well, excited to see you in better times in the flesh, but uh, thankful that you're here with me today because, um, you know, you've obviously been on the podcast before and we've changed the format a little bit in in recent weeks because I feel like a lot of people are trying to escape a little bit, trying to find a little comfort in these kind of confusing times. So we're celebrating comfort movies. Oh, good. Um, Yeah, I know. This isn't the time to watch The Walking Dead. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't necessarily. I mean, I love Darren Aronofsky films, but I don't yeah. know if I need to see Requiem for a Dream right now. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Marlon Wayans is in it, we want to see Marlon in one of his crazy movies. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I asked you um, prior to coming on uh, the podcast today to select a comfort movie. Would you care to reveal the movie that you selected and give us a little sense of why? Yes, uh, my comfort movie, one of many, but the, uh, this one really stands out for me is uh, Casino Royale. But the one, the uh, Daniel Craig's first outing is, is James Bond. Um, I just love that movie because 
A, this is very controversial. I'm going to start out with a big bomb, a bombshell. Uh, I think Daniel Craig is the best James Bond. And I know, and I'm sorry, I know all the Sean Connery people. He's great, too. But I don't know. To me, I'm such a fan of the original books that Craig is the, he's the way that, that Fleming wrote Bond. Bond's a very dark character. You know, he's not filled with one-liners and all this. He's very serious. And um, I just thought Craig just nailed it. And then, you know, Martin Campbell's direction in that movie is just stellar. I mean, that opening sequence, the parkour sequence, is possibly the, that. Well, honestly, it's a toss-up in, in that movie of what are the best uh, action sequences. One is the parkour opening, and then the other is that big scene on the tarmac when they're um, with the uh, the you know the fuel truck when he's trying to stop the guy who's going to blow up the fuel truck. Right, the um, Miami airport. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just so perfectly shot and the action really works. such compelling action. It's not just, you know, mayhem action where you're like, all right, and they're fighting. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. You're just kind of like, oh, the whole time you're on the edge of your seat. I just think it's a master one. So for, first of all, I'm curious. I think some people might be surprised to hear that this is the film you selected as your comfort movie. I'm not necessarily surprised because we've talked before. I've seen Spy. I know some of the trappings that you're, you're interested in. Um, what are, I mean, it sounds like you grew up with the books, grew up with the movies like all of us. Yeah. Um, what is it about this movie? You know, you didn't, you, you didn't select a comedy, though I'm sure there are great comedies that would also qualify as comfort movies. Mm-hmm. What is comforting about a great James Bond movie for you? Um, it's the setting, you know, the setting's so international and beautiful. And I I think they especially found really cool settings for this. And so much of it takes place in a casino and people are drinking, you know, martinis and wearing tuxedos and everything just feels very, very like another world that, that we're not a part of. And and I think that's the, the best movies that I love so much are the ones that really take me to a world an aspirational world of like, where you're just like, oh, I wish I was there. I, I'm glad I'm not in danger while I'm there, but I sure wish I was there having a martini or, you know, and he's after he wins, he's got a martini and he's eating caviar. And it's like, oh my God, that looks so wonderful, you know? And uh, there's just something very comforting about that. Because again, it's also, it's, it's a problem. He's not dealing with problems that mean, you know, that have any relevance to our lives. You know, we're not going to get chased down by Le Chiffre anytime soon, I don't think, for international money laundering. So I, I just think it just it, it propels you into a different world that's beautiful and aspirational, but also really exciting. So let's go over some of the basics. I mean, I'm sure most of the audience has seen Casino Royale by now, but uh, this was, of course, the first Daniel Craig Bond. This came after a, a run of Pierce Brosnan films. It came out November 7th, 2006, mm-hmm. the 21st official James Bond movie. There's some unofficial ones in there, too. Yeah. Including, we should say, there's another Casino Royale. Yes. Do not necessarily. too. A comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've ever wanted to see uh, David Niven and Woody Allen as James <laughs> Bond, that's the, that's the Casino Royale to go to. Woody Allen, if he hiccups like 21 times, he explodes or something. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's really a nutty film. <laughs> so this one, though, of course, was a reboot. And you mentioned Martin Campbell. Martin Campbell directed this one. And it was interesting. Martin Campbell also had already rebooted Bond. He was the director of Goldeneye. Um, so he clearly knew how to kind of restart the franchise and, and give it a, a boost. Um, I mean, do you remember, there's always the casting furor, right? Whenever a new Bond comes around. Oh, yeah. Did you have familiarity with Daniel Craig and what was your attitude when you heard that he was cast? Yeah, I, I was a big fan of the movie Layer Cake. I'm also a big Matthew Bond fan. So when, you know, when we saw Layer Cake, I remember going like, who is that guy? He's like the coolest guy ever. So when they announced that he was going to be Bond, I was just like, I'm in, totally. But do you remember the whole controversy that happened with him at Cannes? 
Yes. It, and it's so, and here's why, it's so funny, having been through my own controversial movie with Ghostbusters, you go like, the things that people get so outraged about early on are so incredibly stupid. You know, for those in the audience who don't remember, they were going to introduce Bond at Cannes, and so they're going to bring him in on a speedboat. So he comes in on a speedboat, but because of safety regulations in France, he had to wear a, li a life preserver, or you know, a life vest. So here comes Bond pulling up all cool with a life vest on. And everybody's like, oh, see, he shouldn't be. Oh, he had to wear a life vest. What a, you know, he's not tough like Bond. It's like, are you kidding me? How dumb are you? <laughs> the guy had to wear a life vest. I mean, maybe they should have made it like black with a tuxedo, you know, like not a tuxedo <laughs> material. Sure, they could have done that. Well, first impressions are important. And this one, I mean, you alluded to it. The film makes a great first impression. It essentially has two great opening sequences back to back. Um, first, it's the black and white pre-credit sequence, and then it's this 10-minute crazy parkour sequence. Um, let's start. Let's just go through a couple scenes and talk through through them if, you, if you'll indulge me. So the yeah. opening of the of, of the film is this kind of. I mean, this whole film is a bit of an origin story. This is the, his first two kills we're seeing. Yeah, totally. It, what's crazy about this to me is that Casino Royale was the very first Bond book, and yet this is basically the last of the Bond books to ever get made as an actual Bond film, other than the David Niven reading one so it, uh, right there you're kind of like how did that happen <laughs> you know so what's so brilliant about it and you know all the writers on it and i know paul haggis was a writer on it and a lot of people wrote on this thing um is that yeah you see this in this in this really stylistic way with this you know big grain kind of tri-x film black and white we see him do his first kill, how he becomes a 007. And it's, you know, and it's brutal. It's really brutal. I mean, he, he kills the one guy, but then when he's in the bathroom afterwards and that, he, he really, it's an ugly, ugly kill. And that's what I think is so brilliant about this movie is, and who knows which one of the screenwriters brought this to it, or, you know, or what Martin Campbell brought to it too, is the kills are all very, take a toll on people. I mean, that's why Eva Green's character is so great, because she's, you know, when she sees a guy get killed, the Bond has to kill. Again, in a very ugly, messy way, she's very, you know, affected by it. And that's what I loved about that opening sequence, you know, because you're, you're in this black and white environment that he's got in this stark bathroom where he's trying to kill this guy. He's got to drown him in a sink, you know, and in a toilet. I mean, it's, it's ugly, ugly, but it really, it de-glamorizes how the Bond franchise has gotten so kind of silly over the course of the years. I mean, I think that's why I love this movie too, is it kind of reignited my, my excitement in Bond films. Because I always go see them and you're like, okay, cool, but you're always kind of like, ah, there's too many gadgets and there's too much, you know, too many one-liners and quips versus, again, what the original books were, that darkness. So I, I remember just sitting there for that opening going like, oh my God, this is it. And then what do you go right into? You go right into Chris Cornell singing what I still think is the best Bond song. Oh, I this is interesting. This is somewhat controversial. Okay, so yeah, Chris Cornell, You Know My Name is, is, the, is the Bond song in this one. And a lot of people love the movie. A lot of people don't cite this as one of the great Bond songs. You say it is though. I love it. I think it's, because so, I mean, it just, that thing comes on, especially coming out of that, that you know, that sequence. And you're expecting to hear kind of a, you know, more of the traditional kind of a bomb, you know, Goldfinger kind of thing. And here comes this bomb, 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 and, and it's, you know, but it's still rock and rock and roll, but it's also orchestrated, you know, in the way that when you buy the version online, it's the more, you know, more sound gardeny version of it, really. But um, it's just, I think it's beautifully written. And if you notice, the soundtrack uses that that the melody from that all, all the way through, and 
the people who made uh, uh, Mad Men completely ripped off the opening graphics of Casino Royale because it was all those those you know silhouette guys running around, which is exactly what they took for for uh, Mad Men, you know, a year or two after that. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, you alluded to something that I do feel like it's always interesting to see sort of the evolution of Bond, and it's it often kind of a course correction from the Bond before it, right? You go from like Roger Moore to, uh, I think at the time it was Timothy Dalton, and that went dark. And then you go to Pierce Brosnan, which kind of started a little gritty or not as gritty as this, but then by the end, he was in like invisible cars, and it, was, it, was, it got a little comic booky. Yeah. And this definitely felt like a way, and I know people kind of cited this as like um, an influence was maybe even the Dark Knight or Batman Begins at the time, these kind of grittier interpretations. Um, but like, then you look at, I mean, it, 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 you can look no further than that next sequence, which is the parkour se- the sequence, which is a full on 10 minute um, action scene in which I think, um, I think Daniel Craig sweats and gets in more like more injuries in that sequence than Roger Moore did in like eight films. Oh my it's, gosh, totally. it's crazy. Yeah, no, it's really um, you know. I mean, I know parkour was kind of you know in vogue at the time. <laughs> I love parkour. I mean, honestly, my you know, if you look at my movies, there's always some kind of dance sequence or some. I love bodies in motion. I think that's the most exciting thing cinematically. It's why. Um, Dog Day Afternoon is one of my favorite movies because it's just like people running around and scalding and sweating and all this stuff. And it's just, it's exciting because it's, it's flesh and blood. It's not robots fighting or, you know, or CGI fighting. And so that sequence just, you know, you kind of, it gears up and you just keep going like, oh my God, oh my, like, they're not taking it further. They're not taking it further. And then suddenly they're going up on top of, you know, cranes that are skyscraper tall. And the danger is so, again, I, you know, when I made Spy and when I make my movies that have any kind of action in them whatsoever, and you know, it's, it's very light action in my movies, I always say, like, I just don't want mayhem. I just don't want where you go, like, okay, look, you know, things are zooming around. You go, like, oh, the second unit guys went out and shot a bunch of cool shots and they strung it together. And you're like, okay, you know, I always see my wife in those situations. She's like, start checking her phone or she'll wander off to the restroom. They're like, that should not be an action sequence. Action sequence, you should be leaning in, you should be getting information from it. You should be getting character things from it. And if it's a comedy, you should also be getting some laughs from it. Um, and this thing, you just, I mean, you just keep leaning forward because you're going like, what's he going to do next? Oh my God, how is he going to get out of this? I can't believe he's doing that, <laughs> you know? And, and then he's like almost dies a bunch of times. And I mean, he's jumping from one crane to another and he lands and he almost falls off. And the stakes are so jacked up high and not in a way of like some of the old other Bond movies where suddenly, and suddenly you know, he's got a parachute under his jacket or whatever. Right. The Union Jack parachute that comes out? Yeah. Totally. Like, he's <laughs> in a Hawaiian short sleeve shirt, you know, running around. And, um, you know, but then it ends with him doing a very not Bond-like thing, like killing an unarmed guy just because right. he's so, you know, doesn't want this guy to go further or just he's mad or whatever it is. Um, and also just the brilliance of the whole thing they're chasing around for is a code it turns out to be such a, even though it's hugely significant, it feels like un, such an insignificant thing. The code to get into a room at an airport. Right. It's Ellipsis is this whole kind of like, yes, MacGuffin that really doesn't matter. I don't even think about it. It's really, it, it, but they, that's, the, that's the art of a great screenplay, I think, is that when you don't even realize that it doesn't yeah. really even matter at the end of the day. Totally. And, you know, and what a brilliantly written script. I mean, for an action movie, for a Bond movie, it's a really brilliant script. I think one of the other impressive things they did with this beyond the brilliant casting of Daniel Craig is they surrounded him with some amazing actors. Um, so let's talk about a few of them. Um, I think uh, Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre 
is a oh. great villain. Uh, again, I, I would dare put him up in the top five villains because um, he's, you know, what a cool presence on screen he is. And, and plus, with the bleeding eye, you know, <laughs> it's Perfect. just all these weird kind of body and things <laughs> without like stroking a cat, <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, he has like the inhaler too. He, it's like there's something, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But I love that. I mean, that's what's so great about that movie is everybody is very vulnerable in that movie. and Everybody's very human. Um, which you don't normally see in these movies. And that's why it's so hard. Like, you know, like, look, I, I enjoy superhero movies. That's why I've always had a hard time getting into them because I'm always like, they're not invincible. I mean, they're not, they're not vulnerable. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand their vulnerability versus, you know, I look at, yeah, I look at Bond getting hit and punched and he's bleeding. Or I see Le Chiff breathing out of his inhaler and you're like, okay, I know, I know it can take these guys down. <laughs> The next scene I want to mention is actually one that's not an action scene, but for my money, maybe my favorite scene in the film, which is on the train to Montenegro, where uh, Daniel Craig Bond meets Vesper, played by Ava Green. Um, And I think this relationship, I mean, to my mind, is one of the reasons why this film works as well as it does. Talk to me about what you think about Ava Green as Vesper and the sequence in particular. Oh, yeah. Well, what's great about, about Ava Green's character is that she is a total equal. You know, and it's <clears throat> she's not a Bond girl. She's not, you know, sort of in, in support of Bond. She is an intellectual match to him. And I love how they're both, they can both guess each other's past, you know, you think from just how they read each other. I mean, later on, I think you find out they knew more than they did. But, um, but no, you're just kind of like, you really sit back and like, wow. First of all, she's gorgeous. But then secondly, you're just like, oh my gosh, she's so cool. Like, she's really taking Bond on, you know, in a way. And I, I also love the thing when they're just in his hotel room and, you know, it's like, there's a tuxedo there. And she's like, yeah, I sized you up. I, and it fits perfectly. You're right. like, that's, 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 a, that's a superhero to me. Anyone <laughs> who, can, who can get me a fully tailored suit by just eyeing me. <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, you know uh, better than than most, having done kind of like your own, you know, Ghostbusters was a bit of an origin story for those characters. I mean, it's tough to do an origin story, let alone a, an origin story for a character we've known for 50 years. It's impressive the way they they hold back some things in this one. We don't hear him say, my name's Bond, James Bond, until the very end. They play with some of the iconography. Um, just talk to me about, so, from your perspective as a writer and director, the challenges they must have faced um, going back to set up a character like this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's weird because we all know Bond. We all know his history, basically. Although I guess we kind of don't know his history. We just know the other movies. Right. You know, but that was so interesting to see how he got his 007, you know, his double O ranking by killing them, you know, doing his first two kills. But um, it, it's weird because when you get a new Bond, it must be what they have on Doctor Who every year, you know, kind of, you get a new Bond human being in the role, so you do have the chance to play with it, but then you can't play with the mythology too much, so all you can do is is take your little shots with it, and you know, you mentioned Ghostbusters, we tried to do that too, of like, oh, we're going to subvert this a little bit, or oh, you thought, you know, here's how this kind of happened, here's how the logo happened, some people were annoyed by that kind of thing, other people enjoy it, you know, I really enjoy in the, he's in the casino and he, you know, he orders a martini and they say, shaking or stirred. He goes, do you think I care? However, he says a funny retort. And I go, that's great. You know, that's really fun that that they were able to do that. There's a really funny thing on the, on the train though. And she's looking at his watch and she goes, uh, Rolex. And he goes, Omega. And she goes, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. 
Man, Omega's got a really good placement in that movie. I was going to say, they, a good wine and good product placement all at the same time. Yeah. But I think he's drinking a, a Heineken in one scene, too, though. So Totally. But I, um, hey, look, I understand it. I'm a filmmaker. I know. If they're going to get the money, you take it. <laughs> this film clearly came uh, during the poker craze of that time. and it's something, But it, it works. I mean, there's actually like a lot of poker in this there's film. Long, long sequences, which you would think would be like, you know, it's a lot. So I always hate movies about the internet because they always... Directors have to figure out interesting ways to watch people type on a keyboard. <laughs> oh, now we're going through the, the cable. It's like, oh, no, it's still just somebody on a computer. But, yeah, the, the, again, the stakes are so – it's like watching Russian roulette because you're right. just like, what's going to happen? Because, you know, I, I admit I can, I can sit and watch one of those uh, poker tournaments on TV and get really into it just because you don't know what's going to happen. The thing I hate about poker tournaments, if I may, may diverge, but it'll bring me back to Bond – Please. All the guys wear sunglasses and like earphones, and it's like, no, that's not. You got to be Bond. You got to be steely, you know. So somebody's got to be able to read your tell. You can't hide behind a mask, you know. <laughs> you show them like in a Batman mask. Well, sure, I I could win at poker then. So so that's why that's why I think again that was so fun to to watch that one of like here's these guys, but also the setting and they're all dressed up and there's all these other international rich guys around who are who are. Seem to be pretty terrible players, by the way, because <laughs> really only the chef and uh, and James Bond have any real credit at that table. Right. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I appreciate Felix Leiter always, and, and played by a great actor like Jeffrey Wright. Um, but uh, yeah, that's even a nice reveal. They kind of hold back who he's playing for a while. Oh, that. totally, totally. But I mean, everything down to like those chips. You know, they have like poker chips, but then those like long, you know, the rectangular ones that looks so beautiful. Everything is so tactile in that movie. You're just like, you want to touch it all. You want to be there. You know, you want to be drinking that drink. And, oh. a, a couple other scenes I want to mention. Uh, around uh, when we get into the poker section of the film, there's the, the part where he's like drugged and he essentially has to defibrillate himself. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, is like more sweat and blood and everything coming out of him than I've ever seen in a Bond film before. Oh, uh, and a really well done, you know, um, suspenseful scene for my money. Oh. Very suspenseful and, and crazy. I mean, you know, if, if, if the one crazy gadget he has is a defibrillator and, and you know, whatever that shot that, that brings him back to life in the cars, at least you go like, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Like, you would want to be prepared if Bond got, you know, got poisoned versus, you know, some of the other ones. It, it got to a point, the older Bond movies, like especially the Roger Moore ones, where they, whatever Q would introduce as you go like, well, okay, but it always had such a specific thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this Your is... watch will turn into a saw that will cut through rope. It's like, I wonder <laughs> if he's going to get trapped somewhere with a rope around him. This is anti-shark repellent. Wait a second. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's one man in the world that this dart will hit and it will take him out. Oh, well, I hope I beat him. Um, so, yeah, so, but I mean, the fact that he's got to be talked through saving himself and he dies, he almost dies and he, def he defibrillates himself at the very last minute and then cleans up you know <laughs> somehow gets a beautifully laundered clean perfect shirt and comes back to the table looking perfect and that's his superpower that's his ability to clean up very quickly that's my superman right there <laughs> i mean that is i mean you are talk for the podcast listeners they can't see you but you are you haven't dropped your savile row wardrobe for the sake of the pandemic you're still no, 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 no. suit and tie every day that's how I, <laughs> I, I i'm a big believer in you know in these kind of times you have to have a routine get up shower i would say don't spend the day in the clothes you slept <laughs> what was was bond in some way an influence on your own style on your own wardrobe i mean you're always so meticulously dressed 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had a few cinematic influences and Bond was definitely one of them because he was always dressed so immaculately and beautifully. Um, yeah. So, I, Oh God, I, I, I look at that. I mean, he, I think I, Bond inspires me more into formal wear, but, but I have to say one of the biggest fashion revelations for me is the very last shot in, in Casino Royale after he shoots the guy there on a Lake Cuomo and then like he comes up and that last shot is a low angle shot looking up at him he's holding the gun but he's wearing this beautiful three-piece Tom Ford suit that I had never seen like a Tom Ford suit like that before and I remember in the theater going like oh like I almost like I, I literally like made a sound and uh I, I now own own a version of that suit from Tom Ford it's not that one but uh it's actually, ironically, if you go to Tom Ford, it's the one they make all the sales guys wear. Nice. <laughs> but it looks so great. So, yeah, he a uh, huge influence. How much uh, was James Bond on your mind when you approached Spy? Very much so. Very much so. It was, um, you know, I had, like I said, I'd kind of fallen away from the Bond franchise um, before Casino Royale. And when I saw that, it got me so invigorated that I remember going like, I, I want to make a James Bond movie. And, and was even trying to lobby at that point, which no one would ever let me do it. Not that they would even let me do it now, you know, to see if I could make, make one. And there's like, no way, no way, no way. But then it was really, we were just finishing The Heat and um, was it Spectre, the one that came out or Skyfall? I think it was Skyfall. Probably Skyfall, yeah. Yeah, right. and um, so that was coming out. And I remember just going like, oh, another Bond movie. Like, I want to make a Bond movie. I just was so, like, just driven. And then I remember thinking like, well, they're not going to let me, so how will I do it? Oh, I know. I work with all these funny women. Let me write a female James Bond. But then I wanted to put it through my, my window. And, and uh, you know, I wanted it to be somebody who was completely, you would never think would be Bond and, and that thing. So, but yeah, I mean, completely influenced by Casino Royale. You know, every time I see you, I'm always asking about the sequel. There's so much love for that one. I mean, that's one of those that I, I, I hope, whether it takes five or ten more years, I hope we, we eventually get another spy story. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, now, you know, now with the, the Fox merger, it's over at Disney, so I don't know if they'd even let us do it R-rated. And I, I, I definitely want to do it R-rated. I don't have a, any desire to do a PG-13 uh, spy. <laughs> so did you ever get anywhere in trying to get a meeting with, like, Eon or something to talk about trying to direct a Bond? Um, no. Well, I mean, it's funny. I have friends who are very mutual friends with Barbara Broccoli, and I, I've met her socially a couple of times. But the word was always that they would never let a non-English person do it. But then Carrie just did one. Yeah, so, Carrie Fukunaga is, I think, the first. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of interesting what-ifs I want to mention in my, in my research. I mean, you, you might have heard this one. There was a different iteration of Casino Royale. Um, apparently, Quentin Tarantino wanted to do a Casino Royale adaptation with Pierce oh. Brosnan as a period film. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Intriguing. Oh. In very intriguing. I had not heard that. Oh. Well, um, and this one I found fascinating, too. The, you know who the second choice was? The one that nearly got Bond when Daniel Craig got Bond? Oh. Was, was Superman himself, Henry Cavill. Really? They wow. decided he was a little too young at the time, and they went with, uh, with Daniel. Well, I, I, when Daniel is going to hang up his spurs, I know who I want to be. Give it up. Henry Golding. Henry, of course. <laughs> Henry would be the perfect Bond. Henry's so charming and cool. And, you know, he's going to be Snake Eyes. He just finished shooting that. So uh, I'm, I'm all Team Henry on that one. You gave him a little Sean Connery uh, moment in uh, Last Christmas. So there you go. There's his audition right there. That's right. He's, he's, still, he's still giving me a hard time about that one. <laughs> um, I've got some questionnaire, kind of like uh, standard questions I always ask uh, my guests about their favorite comfort movie. Who do you think get, uh, delivered the best performance in this film? If you had to deliver, give the award for best performance in Casino Royale, who delivers? 
Wow. Oh, that's a tough one. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to single anybody out, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I got to hand it to Craig because just because he had to prove a lot of people wrong, you know, he had a lot of detractors going into that and that's just a tough thing to do. And I just felt he, he just kind of kept that cool center and, and, you know, obviously you're editing and stuff, but I just felt like he, he just took the confidence you needed in that role and just had it there, but also was brave enough to, to let that vulnerability be there, you know, but, but then, I mean, Eva Green is like such a, such a close second. It's crazy. Um, you, we talked about a few of the scenes. What's your favorite scene in the film at the end of the day? Oh man, boy, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, aside from the obvious ones of the, the two action scenes that I love so much, I just really, I love the scene with them after he wins the money, you know, before she gets taken away. I just think he's sitting in that big, like, dining room by himself, drinking a martini, having caviar. She comes up. And there's just something so, so cool and so aspirational about that. You're kind of, you're relaxed, like, oh, my God, he did it. That you really, that, that's a real comforting moment, even though you know something terrible is about to come up. And <laughs> one, of the, one of the craziest scenes in the world, which is in the book, that whole thing about, making him naked on the chair with no bottom and, you know, whacking him <laughs> in the nuts with the thing. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, Daniel Craig earned his paycheck for that scene alone. I don't know if he ex- really experienced that or not, but I believed it. Oh, man, I mean, that's... Show me a guy that doesn't watch that scene going like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what, would you, table. <laughs> what would you program as a double feature for this film, for someone that's watching this and maybe wants to make a, a big night out of it? Um, well, this is very self-serving. <laughs> I would say Casino Royale and Spy. I think, honestly, you can see the influence, but you also see what we did different. You can see the stuff that we kind of played with. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's, I'm promoting, I'm promoting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so finally, I'm just curious, you mentioned Daniel's your favorite Bond. So what what is your, who was your favorite before Daniel Craig? Were you a Connery guy? Were you? Yeah, I love Connery. I I love Connery. I thought he was great. I I look. I really enjoyed the the Roger Moore ones. You know, for a while they got really bananas towards the end. I mean, you know, it got really crazy. But but I kind of like that sort of quippy thing. But what what bugged me is that like you know people even now kind of like oh I miss all the quippy stuff. All the Bond movies are so serious now. It's like yeah I don't I don't agree with that because I think you you know it's a it's a spy world. You want to what I I hate any movie where the stakes aren't high because then I'm not invested in anything, you know? Like, I love the other guys. I thought it was such a hilarious movie. I just kind of wished it had, a, like, a real killer, you know, dangerous villain in the middle of it, because then then the stakes are high. You know, that's why I love movies like, you know, the biggest influences tonally for me, even though they're not my favorite movies in the world, were, like, 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop, you know, those late 80s comedies, because they are so dark. And the stakes, you know, what is it? I think that Beverly Hills Cop has, like, a cop getting executed in a hallway in the first scene. You're just like, wait, I thought this was going to be funny. (laughs) But then you realize how much funnier it is, you know, like in 48 Hours when Eddie Murphy goes into that country bar, you know, you're just like, this is funny because he could really get killed. And I think these filmmakers would make it so he might get killed. You know, like, as a filmmaker, like we set a template for an audience early on of going like what we're going to allow and what we're not going to allow and what our rules are. And so... If at the beginning of a movie something silly happens and the and the you, the bad guy you think is going to do something bad and then he does like a joke, then you're like, oh okay, so I get the tone, 
there's not going to be a lot of danger in this, but I, there's going to be jokes and I hope they're funny and, and I'm not going to worry about the characters too much. Versus, you know, if you get something right up front, you go like, the director says like, guess what? You're here to laugh, but some terrible shit's going to happen in this movie. Right. Then, then, you, then you're off your game, but then you're laughing more because you're nervous at the same time. And to me, fear and laughter are, are, the, are the, 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 you know, the two greatest things put together. You know, when I made the movie The Heat, one of my favorite things to watch with an audience was when they're tied up and the knife, and she got to pull the knife out and she got to put the knife back in, in, you know, in, in Sandra's leg. That gets screams of laughter because it's so painful. And so you're like, oh my God, no, please don't do that. But it somehow weirdly feels real because the reasoning behind it is legit of like, if it's not in there, he's going to know we don't have our hands behind our back. So anyway, it's just, it's a long-winded way of saying, you know, as the director, you have to let the audience know what they're in for and what they need to be worried about and what they yeah. don't know. Well, th this is a great pick, Paul. I mean, I, you know, like, like any movie fan, I grew up with Bond, but um, I, I've seen Casino Royale probably five or six times. I, I watched it again the other day when you selected it and it holds up. It's, it sucks you in. Um, for those that haven't seen it, what are you doing? It's, it's available, of course. I, I watched it on HBO Go. Um, check it out and check it out with Spy, obviously. That's the yeah, double feature to do. Here, and I'll throw in another one. This is yeah. not one of my movies. Um, you can also do it on a double feature with it. It has nothing to do with the other one, but I just think it's another amazing movie in this category. Breakdown. Oh, the um, Kurt Russell? Uh, Russell movie. That that's a good movie. movie. It's so awesome. That is like, you are pulled along through this film. It's crazy. The stakes are so insanely high. Oh, it, wow. You know, city guy versus, you know, these other, you know, <laughs> low-class kind of guys. And it's just like, oh, my God. It's, I think it's brilliant. I'm going to go back to that one. I don't think I've seen it since it came out, but I remember enjoying it at the time. Jonathan Mostow, I believe, directed that one, right? Well, I, I cornered him when I was at a DGA uh, feature director's dinner and just completely cornered Mostow for like an hour, just peppering him with questions about breakdown. I love it. I love. I, lo I always love geeking out with you, Paul. Um, you're a man after my own heart. Maybe your wardrobe's a little bit better than mine, oh. but uh, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time out to celebrate Casino Royale. And I I hope you stay safe and sane in these weird times, and I can't wait to catch up with you in person. You too, Josh. You're one of my favorite people, and I really appreciate you having me on and doing this, and you look great, and uh, we're going to get through this. And yeah. uh, if anybody wants, uh, until this quarantine's over, every night at 5 o'clock L.A. time on my uh, Instagram feed, quarantine cocktail time, come on by. We're raising money for charities, and we're uh, making cocktails, and I'm being it. So join us. I've been enjoying it. I was saying before, your, your margarita dance on Monday was just stellar. <laughs> Thank you. Well, more, more, more stupidity to come, so. <laughs> That's a promise. <laughs> and so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>